welcome back to You Know What I've Been Wondering. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jane. I'm sorry we didn't have an episode last week. It was my fault. I'm not, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sorry for canceling and not saying, I am sorry that I didn't say anything. It's fine. We both had a lot going on. Yeah. I was just like, I don't have the capacity to do this right now. This thing that makes me absolutely no money and takes hours <laughs> of my time, you know? <laughs> I had all my research done. Well, um, turns out not really because I decided to switch my middle segment very last minute. But I thought I had my research done, and I but I kind of like you know had a million things to do the night before, and I was like, I'm research, and I didn't have anything, and I like had a lot of homework to do, and then I was getting all ready to record, and then when you texted like, do you want to just not do it this week? I was like, oh, an hour free, like yeah. (laughs) I have less of a commitment than you do because you do the editing. It's true. It is. It is true. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I say this every week, but I'm tired. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm a very busy lady. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just. I'm still kind of adjusting to the schedule of being in grad school full time. But I do see myself um, slowly getting used to it. So that's good. Um, that's going well. How are you? I'm good. I've decided that every week I get on and I'm like, life sucks. And this week I'm going to talk about only good things that happened that I enjoyed. One, Taylor Swift performed Fetty at the American Country Music Awards. And it was very good and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was good. Two, um, HelloFresh. This is not an ad. This sent me, but I wish it was. Um, I, got a, I got a meal from HelloFresh. It was delicious. It was flatbreads with ricotta and roasted Brussels sprouts and hot honey. And it was so good. And I can't wait to make it again. Very, wow. very delicious. 10 out of 10. Wow. Uh, three. I had more. I swear to God, I had more. Three. Today, I saw some of my students for the first time in six months. I was super Aww. happy to see them, and they remembered who I was. Which Are they really the big thing. now? Yeah, they're taller. I got upset. <laughs> it was like the four. It was like the kids who were in pre-K. I saw them as kindergartners, and they were they were taller. No. But I was worried they were going to forget who I was. And they, they remembered Never. me. They remembered me and it meant a lot. Um, that was really sweet. That happened today. That was my good thing today. Um, what are some other good things? Some other good things. Uh, um, uh, Super Mario 3D All-Stars came out for the Switch. It's amazing. It's very nostalgic for me. Um, and I can't believe how shitty the graphics were in the 90s. I remember playing these games as a kid and being like this is the height of animation this is the best thing i've ever seen and mario literally looks like he's like a block like he looks insane i'm like oh my god this it's so funny like how far (laughs) animation has gone and i just didn't notice how crappy this was it's like it's very hilarious but super nostalgic and very very fun i know i had more good things but those are my good things that i am excited about i since you brought up taylor swift um, I need to tell you something that I think every time I hear the song, um, this is me trying. Okay. Um, <laughs> I literally am like, I need to tell Sarah because this bothers me so much. But the thing is like, okay, I love folklore. I've be- recently been converted to a Taylor Swift stand. I love it very much. I think this is me trying is a great song. It's not my favorite on the album, but it is a good song. Um, and I say that because I just have other songs that I, I'm obsessed with. Mm-hmm. Um, but every time she sings the lyric, so ahead of the curve that the curve became a sphere, I'm like, I know it rhymes, but the geometry and math nerd in me 
said, that's not how curves work. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> that's so I specific. I'm just a circle. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. This is a geometry qualm. That I have a geometry has. qualm with Taylor Swift. That's Everything so hilarious. Else about that album, I love. But every time she sings that, I'm like, "That's not how it works." That is so hilarious. I'm sorry that you're going through this, Jane. It's really a struggle. Yeah, it sounds really hard for you. I've been a Taylor Swift stan, but I do love folklore. And one of my good things was her singing Betty because it was amazing. It It was was really good. It was even better live, and I cried, and it was enjoyable. Oh, my other good thing was that I rewatched the Starkin musical, Holy Musical Batman, and I thoroughly (laughs) enjoyed it. Guys, go back and rewatch it. That one brought a lot of joy. It's so good. Oh, also, everybody, if you have Apple TV Plus. Um, everybody go watch Central Park. It's the show that's by the people that do Bob's Burgers. I don't, Bob's Burgers is my favorite show of all time. I think it is the funniest show ever made. I don't think Central Park is as funny, but I think it is still so high quality and the music's really good and the music's really catchy. Um, and it's very wholesome and sweet and you can watch it with your kids. Um, and it's a really good time. So everybody go watch Central Park. Again, none of these are ads. I just take Maybe it along. I recommend that to my teacher. If you say, you say it's child friendly. Yeah, you could definitely watch it with your kids. Okay, are you ready to get started? Yeah, let's dive on in. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, Forgive me if I'm wrong, but you talked about the protests in Hong Kong last year, right, during one of your metal segments. I don't think you... I did. I talked about it briefly. Yes. Well, I'm going to talk about it a little bit, but I... so it might be sort of a repeat of information, but maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I'm mm-hmm. just going to tell you what I have. Okay, so uh, the protest in Hong Kong started in June of 2019 in response to a planned bill which would allow extradition to mainland China. Extradition is when an accused or convicted criminal is handed over or taken to the jurisdiction of a foreign state if the crime was committed there. Mm-hmm. So Hong Kong is technically not part of China, although it is a Chinese territory. Um, but basically, so extradition to China is what yeah. that sounds like. Yeah. Um, critics fear that extradition could undermine Hong Kong's judicial independence and endanger descendants. Dissidents, not descendants. Endanger descendants. Mm-hmm. A little background on the extradition bill. Uh, in 1997, um, or until 1997, Hong Kong was ruled by Britain as a colony, but then was returned to China. A one country, two systems arrangement was made so that Hong Kong could have some autonomy and its people could have more rights. In the final month of British rule, Hong Kong passed laws barring extradition to mainland China due to concerns of freedom promised under the one country, two systems formula. Beijing began plans to reverse this law almost immediately after the handover was finalized in 1997. In 2015, five people involved in selling books that were critical of the Chinese government disappeared and were later discovered to be in Chinese custody, which is an incident referred to as the Causeway Bay books disappearances. Mm -hmm. In 2017, a Chinese billionaire named Zhao Jianhua was abducted Mm -hmm. from his apartment in Hong Kong by Chinese security forces as a spillover of Xi Jinping's uh, mass anti-graft movement. Um, Xi Jinping was the, is the Chinese leader and general secretary, uh, and the anti-graft movement was just his effort to 
um, root out corruption in the Chinese government. So basically he shows members of the government that he thought might have been guilty of taking bribes or being corrupt in some way and um, arrested them. Uh-huh. And he used this as, as the reason why he um, abducted, essentially, um, Zhao Zhonghua. Uh, in early 2018, 19-year-old Hong Kong resident Chan Tong Kai was, uh, murdered his girlfriend, who was pregnant at the time, uh, whose name was Poon Hui Wing, in Taiwan, and then he was returned, and then he returned to Hong Kong to Hong Kong after committing the murder. Chan confessed to Hong Kong police, but the police were unable to extradite him to China because they had no agreement to do so in place. Okay. This case is used uh, as an example uh, for the case against extradition because uh -huh. this was a case of a citizen from Hong Kong going to China, committing a murder and then coming back to Hong Kong. And if there were any a case where someone could legally be extradited, that would be it. Yeah. Um, but China did not decided not to extradite him. So okay. people who are against extradition use this as an example to be like, well, if you really want to do it just to like, as a law enforcement technique, then why did you not do it here? Yeah. The point is they're only extraditing people that they're seeing as like a threat to Chinese governmental authority. Right. Um, the extradition bill was proposed in April of 2019, and as I said, protests of it began on a large scale in June of that year. It proposed that criminal suspects were allowed to be extradited to mainland China under certain circumstances. Opponents of the bill said that the bill increased the risk that citizens of Hong Kong would be exposed to unfair trials and violent treatment. They also argued that the bill would give China even greater influence over Hong Kong and could be used to target activists and journalists. Um, hundreds of thousands of people took to the streets. Mm. The extradition bill was withdrawn in September of 2019, but the demonstrations have continued because um, it sort of started a momentum among Hong Kong citizens who now just have a desire for their own full democracy. Mm -hmm. um, and they want a full inquiry into police action, which America was like, same. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, clashes between the police and activists have become increasingly violent with police firing live bullets into crowds and protesters attacking officers and throwing petrol bombs. Um, there was an increased incident of protesters wearing masks. And when I say that, I'm not talking about like N95 yeah. PPE COVID masks. I mean like... Ski like masks? No, like, um, like Halloween masks sort of. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. In Money Heist, how they all wear the Dali mask, like yeah. um, that, like those type of masks. Yes. Um, people were wearing like V for Vendetta masks and mm -hmm. um, masks of people who were revolutionaries. Um, the government banned protesters from wearing these masks in defiance of the government, which was seen as increasingly authoritarian. There have been several incidences of violence on the part of both sides. Um, the protesters have adopted the motto, five demands, not one less. These are the five demands. One, for the protests not to be characterized as riots. Um, two, um, for amnesty for arrested protesters. Uh, three, an independent inquiry into alleged police brutality. Um, four, implementation of complete universal suffrage. And five, withdrawal of the bill, which has already happened. The bill was, was withdrawn. 
in September of 2019. At the moment, the one country, two systems um, formula set up uh, was set up supposedly to give Hong Kong citizens um, certain rights and freedoms, um, specifically the freedom of assembly and the freedom of speech. But those freedoms, which are referred to as the basic law, expire in 2047, and it is unclear what Hong Kong status will be at that point. Now, let's get to what you actually asked me about. <laughs> yes. Which is what's going on with um, the newspaper situation. Mm -hmm. In June of 2020, Beijing imposed a new national security law on Hong Kong in response to the major protests of last year. The new law prohibits what Beijing News um, views as secession, um, subversive or terrorist activities, or what it sees as foreign intervention in Hong Kong's internal affairs. Mm -hmm. Police were given sweeping powers to conduct searches without warrants and order internet service providers and platforms to remove messages deemed to be in violation of the legislation. Critics see okay. the law as Beijing's boldest move yet to erase the divide between Hong Kong's Western style system and the mainland's authoritarian way of governing. Oh. Um, when this law was announced, a lot of journalists and people who were vocally um, critical of mm -hmm. the Chinese government were like, we got real worried because this was basically them being like, like we are going to search your homes without needing permission to do so and like right. basically we can do whatever we want if we view you as any sort of threat um, Yikes. the treasury department said quote the recent imposition of draconian national security legislation on hong kong has not only undermined hong kong's autonomy it has also infringed on the rights of people in hong kong on friday august 7th president trump attempted to impose sanctions on hong kong's chief executive carrie lam and 10 other senior officials in hong kong and mainland china over their roles in cracking down on political dissent the punishment threatened was that all of their american assets would be frozen and they would not be allowed to enter the u.s remember this was in august of 2020. oh they were like you can't come to the u.s basically all 11 of the people who were threatened by these sanctions kind of were like, haha, we don't want to come to the U.S. anyway. Like, it's so bad there with COVID. Right. Um, they, yeah, the sanctions were basically made fun of and laughed off because it was, it was even unclear if any of them had any property in the U.S. or had any form of assets here that could be frozen, which is the only thing Trump, Trump was threatening to do. Right. Um, they also have expressed that they had no desire to travel to the U.S. in the first place because COVID is so bad here. In response, China imposed similar sanctions on 11 U.S. officials, including Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, Senator Josh Hawley, Tom Cotton, Pat Toomey, Representatives Chris Smith, National Endowment Democracy President Carl Gershman, National Democratic Institute President Derek Mitchell, and International Republican Institute President Daniel Twining. Um, oh, also, Human Rights Watch Executive Director Kenneth Roth and the President of the Freedom House, Michael Abramovitz. Uh, yeah. <laughs> some of those people I've heard of, some of them I have not. And I'm like, well, if they were deemed important enough by China to put sanctions on, maybe I should find out who they are and what they do. Patsy, uh, my senator. 
I know I've heard of him. Um, on Monday, I think August 10th, I read a couple different articles and all of them just said on Monday and some of them were published on August 10th and some were published mm -hmm. after. So like, I was like, why would something be talking about today say on Monday? But I think it was on August 10th. Um, Hong Kong authorities arrested media tycoon Jimmy Lai, broadening their enforcement of the new national security law and stoking fears of a crackdown on the region's free press. Jimmy Lai runs a media company called Next Digital, which runs a popular newspaper called Apple Daily. Apple Daily is considered a feisty pro-democracy tabloid that often condemns China's Communist Party-led government. Police were seen at Next Digital's headquarters carting away boxes which they said were filled with evidence. The same evening, a pro-democracy activist named Agnes Chow Ting was arrested on charges of inciting secession under the same law. News of this situation broke because a fellow activist who had fled to Britain when the law took effect, Nathan Law, tweeted that this was happening. Agnes Chow Ting had in fact posted on her Facebook page earlier on claiming that the police had arrived at her home and that she was calling her lawyers to the scene. It was later confirmed that she had already been arrested. Oh. Two days before this, oh, I already said this. Um, in addition to Jimmy Lai being arrested, two of his sons were also arrested and several higher ups in his company were arrested as well. And his headquarters, as I said before, was heavily searched. Next Digital put forward a statement that said, quote, Raiding a news institution is a severe attack on press freedom and should not be tolerated in a civilized society. Hong Kong's, Hong Kong's press freedom is now hanging by a thread, but our staff will remain fully committed to our duty to defend the freedom of the press. Mm -hmm. Police are only allowing 15 select media access to cover the raid of Lies Company, and they are only allowed to access certain areas for investigation. So they're literally handpicking who can report on what they're doing and what they're allowed to report on. Um, they have barred public broadcaster RTHK and foreign outlets, including the Associated Press, saying that only larger local media that had not obstructed or posed a threat to the police in the past could enter. The government claims that the arrests were not politically motivated, but like, come on. Right. So <laughs> that's the situation. Things are not going well for the freedom of the press in Hong Kong. Um, I don't really have any updates after that, but that that's the situation. It's, it's not good, you know? No, not good. Sounds super bad, actually. Also, this weekend has been rough, yo, guys. Rest in peace, RBG. No, 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 no. Um, what, uh, what are we supposed to be saying? May her, um, may her memory be a blessing. May her memory like be a blessing, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want to be respectful to her culture. But yeah, so that was the newspaper situation in Hong Kong. Um, I do not know as much as I should about the situation, so I, I encourage you all to go and read as much as you can about it and try and stay informed. Right. So that was that. I am on the middle segment. And I will say, I'll tell you what my middle segment was going to be. Um, uh -huh. I wanted to talk about the possibility of life on Venus that was recently found. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to be old news by the time I talked about it. because I Nobody told me about the life on <laughs> Venus. What? Okay, 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 okay. Wait, wait, wait. Just save it for a different time. I can't, I can't unpack that right now. <laughs> I can't process that. It's not as exciting what? as it sounds. 
<laughs> I thought I was surrounded by poisonous gas. <laughs> well, what? like Cliff Notes. <laughs> I mean, the Cliff Notes version of that is basically they found evidence that there is a chemical in the clouds of Venus that can only be made from like organic life that can only be created by living things. <laughs> but it only exists in the clouds. So if there is life on Venus, it's literally just like <laughs> tiny microbes in the clouds. <laughs> There's not like creatures. Well, I mean, many, many, many There's creatures. Creatures? <laughs> I'm oh so sorry oh to have done this to you. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm so sorry. I can't process that at the moment. Let's talk about something else. What are we talking okay, okay. about now? We are talking about something that I find very upsetting, which is reference man, which doesn't sound like anything, but it will once I get into it. <laughs> I'm interested to know what this is that makes you so upset. You'll see. Okay, so I'm getting pretty much all of my information from a video done by Samantha B correspondent Amy Hoggart. Um, on a video that is on Samantha B's YouTube channel. Um, everyone should go watch it. Um, she gets much of her information from author Caroline Criado Perez and her uh -huh. book, Invisible Women, colon, Data Bias in a World Designed for Men. Oh. Mm -hmm. um, so right. reference man. <laughs> what? I said she's right. <laughs> oh, yeah, she, she is. Um, so reference man is sometimes also referred to as default man, generic man, or modular man. Um, but I'm going to be calling him. Man. <laughs> I also am looking for a generic man. And the correspondent in the video, Amy Hoggart, makes a, a funny joke about like, when the reference man is described to her, she goes like, I think I might have matched with him on Bumble. Does he like skiing? <laughs> Does he like skiing? <laughs> um, so reference man is defined as being between 20 and 30 years of age, weighing uh -huh. around um, 155 pounds, being about five foot nine, uh, living in a climate with an average temperature of 50 to 70 degrees Fahrenheit. And he is a Caucasian man um, and is Western European or North American in habitat and custom. Um, the idea behind reference man is, is really just the fact that wherever you look, you'll see the male body with those specific proportions being used as a kind of universal template for the human race. Um, okay. If there is something that is meant to be one size fits all, it is generally made using the proportions of reference man. Okay. For, for example, and this is one of the most infuriating cases, um, an average car test dummy is based on this model, mm. and there is not a reference woman. Oh. Uh, I know. <laughs> to continue the discussion of car crash test dummies, um, they don't make an adult female one if they do decide that they are going to test for women's safety in a car crash scenario. Mm -hmm. scenario they use a dummy that is called fifth percentile adult female, which is 411 and 108 pounds, which is the average size of a 12-year-old child. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that's a small person. I know. And the only time they use this dummy for like car crash tests, they put it in the passenger seat. 
They're, they never, during like car crash tests, ever use a female form. At, and if they do, they do not put it in the past, in the driver's seat. Well, that's because women can't drive, Jane. <laughs> You're right. I'm so sorry. It's illegal um, for us to drive. It's illegal. I break the law every day. I know. <laughs> I, have, I live life on the edge of yeah. danger to society. You're a rebel. Um, because of this, when a woman is involved in a car crash, she is 47% more likely to be seriously injured than a man. 40, and that's, 71% a, that's a high more percent. I know, it's huge. Um, and uh, she's also 71% more likely to be moderately injured. Even when researchers are able to control for factors such as height, weight, seatbelt usage, and crash intensity. She is also 17% more likely to die. Hmm. Um, and it's all because of how the car is designed and for whom, AKA men. I don't like reference, um, man. I know, I hate it. Um, here's a list of some things, not all, just some things that the use of reference man as the universal model has caused to happen. Mm -hmm. In 1996, a female firefighter named Fleur Lombard died while fighting a fire. Investigation afterward found that her breathing apparatus had failed and that her protective gear had failed to keep her body cool. At one point, the temperature under her protective gear had reached between 750 degrees Fahrenheit and 1100 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh my god. Uh, I know. Both of these failures of her equipment were um, determined to be caused by the fact that the gear that her fire department was using was supposed to be essentially a, a sort of a one-size-fits-all, but it was right. way too big. It was way too big for her. Um, That's so sad. So it, like, didn't protect her at all. I know. It's, 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 it's very sad. Um, and as we know, I've ranted about on this podcast before, in 2019, the first all-female spacewalk had to be scrapped because NASA didn't have two spacesuits that would fit two female bodies. Right. <sighs> we, yes. remember. I, we remember. We do remember this. It was, oh, I get so mad thinking about it. Um, have you seen that TikTok audio that people have been used that's like that? They sent that, a woman to space for six days with a hundred tampons? Amazing. Yes. Yes, I yes. have. I, I love it. I recently, um, saw a TikTok that someone was responding to that song and they were like, this is a hilarious thing that happened. Um, I think it's to Sally Ride, right? She was the first woman in space. Uh, yeah. Um, and they gave her 100 tampons while she was planning on being there for six days. And they were like, would that be enough? But, um the guy who responded to that, he like duetted it and he was like, that story's really funny, but here's another funny story that shows the like fragile masculinity of NASA. Mm -hmm. And that's basically, there's a part of the spacesuit that they need for men that basically like goes around their penis. And it, <laughs> it's like for protecting their penis. That's and so weird. So in order to have the correct size of it, they like, they ask the male master the male astronauts what like condom size they would need yeah and they gave them the options of like small medium large and all of the men chose large <laughs> because they wouldn't admit to a real size so nasa literally had to go back and then come back and lie to them and be like okay we're gonna give you the choice of large extra large and double xl and then the men were honest that's crazy. Because the men who actually needed large said double XL, and the men who needed small said large. <gasps> it was like so dumb. Anyway, back to. That's insane. Men. I don't 
know if it was double XL, but it was definitely like they said the sizes were much bigger than they were. Um, 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 so reference man is the reason why shelves are generally built as high as they are. Um, it's the reason why women generally feel um, that car seat belts are really constrictive and choke them and, you know, don't allow room for the boobies. Um, oh my God. <laughs> it is the Everything reason, in my life is starting to connect. <laughs> I know. It's the reason why the average temperature for offices is designed to be about 68 degrees. And that is because it's meant for men who wear, you know, long-sleeved collared shirts and suits rather yeah. than women who wear skirts and dresses or, you know, anything, people who wear things that are not suits. Yeah. Um, Women who need CPR in public are proven to be less likely to receive it because people who are certified in CPR are uncomfortable touching breasts. Now, I would like to say that it, men are certainly not uncomfortable touching breasts if it means they're going to sexualize or objectify a woman. But when it comes to giving her medical attention, then all of a sudden it's something they shouldn't do. No, that doesn't, that actually does not surprise me because, um, that's something I just did CPR training on Friday and that doesn't surprise me because when you get trained for CPR, the mannequin is a male, all of the yep. videos, it's always a male, but mm -hmm. they talk repeatedly that you have to expose the bare chest. Yeah. So that would mean that if it was a female, um, you would have to, if she wore a bra, you'd have to take off her bra. Like you'd have to, and like that is when you're not trained to do that, that's a deeply uncomfortable thing to think about to, because yeah. it's so much more intimate to be like, mm -hmm. we need to get all of this off right now yeah. than it is for a male. And also when you do CPR, you do compressions mm -hmm. and on a, like men, there's nothing in the way, but, and for women, you'd have to like maneuver a little bit so i do i totally get that i totally understand why that'd be uncomfortable because it's not part of the training at all i know and uh, like 100 like i think um all if not a large majority but um all probably of mm. cpr dummies are like you said are male yeah um and um so here is why this is most relevant now um most CDC approved N95 masks and goggles and other PPE are that are used by healthcare workers are designed to be worn by reference man. Mm -hmm. um, that is the size that they design it for. So many um, female healthcare workers are vocalizing that they are not being kept as safe and they are not able to keep their patients as safe because their equipment does not seal to their face correctly. Mm -hmm. um, it's way too large. One female healthcare worker that was interviewed in the video was talking about how um, her mask that she was given when she mm -hmm. came, she like selflessly made the choice to travel to America to like help out a New York hospital. And mm -hmm. the goggles that she was given were not sealing correctly and they were like dangling over her mask and the mask she uh -huh. was given was way too big for her. But don't worry, the CDC realized that safety masks might not fit every face perfectly. So they created a guide for how to best wear a mask and what type of mask to wear regardless of sex or size. Except, just kidding, I totally just made that up. Here's what they actually did. Mm. Um, they released a guide for how to fit a mask over literally every type of male facial hair under the sun. It was oh my like, God. you have a beard, this is what you do. Have a mustache, this is what you do. Have a curly Q mustache, this is what it, like, picture any type of, any style of facial hair, they have a thing for it and how to wear a mask over it. It was so infuriating to see. That's so That they were like, oh, you know what? There's something that we need to accommodate for. 
So this is not just a gender issue. People of color are also the victim of reference man because again, he is a Caucasian male and um, is designed to um, just live in like North America and Western Europe. Um, right. So people who are not from those areas or are not white men are generally at a disadvantage in receiving medical care because you know the the healthcare world is just not designed for them and for taking right. care of them specifically oh definitely um, not yeah uh, in fact people of color are statistically proven to receive worse health care than white people do um not i think shocking. it's not just because of reference men i think you know racism plays a huge part in it um but it's I mean, definitely reference man is racist yes correct right <laughs> <laughs> what i'm saying is like reference man is not the cause of racism racism is the cause of reference, reference man, man and yeah. other things i mean i specifically like i can't i always like randomly remember like just how the mortality rate for women of color for mothers of color giving birth is so much higher it's so much like higher. Just, it's, so, it's so ridiculous it's terrible we're supposed to be a first world country and yet like women should not be dying in childbirth anymore oh. and yet that happens way not more in, often than right it would. right right not in the richest country in the world but and yet yeah and yet here we are so the answer that you know, to all of the issues brought up by Reference Man is literally just that we need increased diversity within the organizations that make these decisions, that design the models that are used for CPR training, that right. design healthcare regulations and equipment. Um, and there are also some small, like um, female and POC led businesses that sell things like attachments for CPR dummies that give them boobs, um, which sounds like it would be like a thing to laugh at, but they're designed well. Um, right. and respectfully. Anyway, so that's reference, man. I didn't like that. I'm sorry. I this was like... not, I did not have two uplifting topics, but I just, I needed to tell you. I don't like reference, man. I don't like what he's doing. He's the worst. No. You're the worst. <laughs> um, okay. Well, now that we've done that. <laughs> exciting thrilling inspiring <laughs> uplifting never been done before never been done before topic um i guess it's my turn it's not true because i literally took it from a, a video <laughs> not never been done before but yes it's Sarah's turn. <laughs> mine's also never been done before um so you asked me about the 1619 <laughs> project um, which was mm -hmm. exciting because I've, I'd recently read the, uh, a few essays from the 1619 Project. So I'm excited to tell you about that. So the 1619 Project is an ongoing project that was developed by New York Times Magazine, um, led by Hannah Jones, oh, Nicole, Nicole Hannah Jones. And it began in 2019. And its, its concept is to reframe the country's history by placing the consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans at the very center of the United States national narrative. That's straight from the website. Um, this project was timed specifically for the 400th anniversary of the arrival of the first um, ship of enslaved Africans in the colony of Virginia in 1619. And this, this year, 1619, has sparked a bunch of debate for a very specific reason and a very specific phrase that was used in the initial launching of this issue that I'm going to circle back to later. 
Um, mm-hmm. So the this this special issue was released in 2019, and it gained such critical praise that it became a long-term ongoing project. Um, it is an interactive project that um, Nicole Hannah-Jones directed and wrote the introduction for, and its first publication included on, on August 14th, um, six days before the 400th anniversary, um, published 100 pages with 10 essays, a photo essay, and a collection of poems by 16 additional writers. Um, it's a really great collection, really interesting Um, I highly recommend people go out there and read it, especially this first issue. Although there are ongoing um, publications that are now on their own website and they have a podcast as well. I mean, so do we. Okay, I'm kidding. (laughs) Yeah, it's so easy now. (laughs) They do really high quality stuff. So like I said, the first ship of enslaved Africans um, arrived in August of 1619. The ship carried 20 to 30 people um, who had been kidnapped from um, Africa during the African-Portuguese War um, in Ndongo in what is now modern Angola um, and they landed at Point Comfort in the colony of Virginia. The initial publication said in its byline or introductory essay from Nicole Hannah-Jones that the, the purpose of the 1619 project was to discuss 1619 as the actual birth year of America because the contributions Mm. and the treatment of black people in America is fundamental to its current standing. This was her idea. This statement caused controversy with many people, both in the left and the right, but specifically with a group of five historians who responded to this publication in December of 2019 with a letter. Um, The historians that sent the New York Times this rebuttal essay, this rebuttal letter, were Gordon S. Wood, James M. McPherson, Sean Wilentz, Victoria Bynum, and James Oakes. And they expressed what they called strong reservations about the project and requested factual corrections. Um, And their criticism of the 1619 Project was that the portrayal of American history was based on ideology and not on factual representation, particularly because of Nicole Hannah-Jones' standpoint that this, that America was founded by virtue of the presence of slaves, not by the Declaration of Independence, was what she was getting at. And so this sort of began a, a, a large and long back and forth between this group of historians and others and the New York Times Magazine. The main issue that the historians took with the 1690 Project was that it was too cynical. They believed that um, Nicole Hannah-Jones, who wrote in her introductory essay that she believed that um, the Americans started the revolution as a means to uphold slavery in America, what painted a poor picture of the efforts of many Americans at that point to abolish slavery. Because at that point in the North, there was a strong community of abolitionists by 1776. But Nicole Hannah-Jones argued that America wanted the Revolutionary War and wanted independence in order to uphold slavery. Now, she did kind of go back on that statement and say that she wasn't trying to say that all 13 colonies collectively 
were like, yes, we are fighting in order to keep slavery in our country. But it was a fact at the time that the abolitionist movement was gaining momentum in England, and they did indeed abolish slavery before America did. Um, and she does point out that although there were tensions over how they would treat slaves, there was nothing written in the Constitution to help slaves gain any sort of rights and it did nothing to help along the potential future of an end to slavery in america mm -hmm. at a time when they were supposedly fighting for liberty this was her, that was her argument so the letter that this group of historians sent to the times said quote we applaud all efforts to address the foundational centrality of slavery and racism to our history but then it went into a harsh criticism which refers to matters of verifiable fact that cannot be described as interpretation or framing which was what nicole hannah jones was trying to say she was saying i am framing history through the minds of a country that started off of the backs of slaves and they're saying that this cannot be reframed you cannot reframe the start of a nation which she disagrees with um and they said that the project reflected quote a displacement of historical understanding by ideology so essentially they're saying you're confusing facts about what happened with modern day ideology about the experience of black people in america but mm -hmm. what hannah jones is trying to say is that these two are intertwined um, and this is what she said in her response to this letter. She said, I think had any of the scholars who signed the letter contacted me or contacted the Times with concerns before sending the letter, we would have taken those concerns very seriously. And instead, there was, there was kind of a campaign to kind of get people to sign to a letter that was attempting really to discredit the entire project without having had a conversation, mm -hmm. which is true. They contacted many historians in an effort to get them to co-sign the letter. And while some of the historians agreed that Hannah Jones was painting history through an ideological lens and maybe a sociological lens as opposed to a historical lens. They refused to sign the letter because they thought that her effort was more important than the effort to be factually correct. Mm -hmm. In terms of yeah. the history of slaves and black people. Yeah, what America. it stands for. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And then I like th I like what The Atlantic said about this. I, this, is, uh, this is an article by The Atlantic, which is called historians clash with the 1619 project um and this is a quote from them quote the clash between the times authors and their historian critics represents a fundamental disagreement over the trajectory of american society was america founded as a slaveocracy and are current racial inequities the natural growth of that or was america conceived in liberty a nation haltingly redeeming itself through its founding principles those are not simple questions to answer because the nation's pro-slavery and anti-slavery tendencies are so closely entwined so in the 1619 Project, Hannah Jones is arguing that we are a slaveocracy and that democracy has only happened through the freedom of black people. And that anything we called democracy before that was a lie because the men who were writing the Declaration of Independence, who were claiming to create a free society, were actively part of a system that was holding people in bondage. So... Mm -hmm her critical theory as in the introduction to the 1619 project is that america is not free and will not be free and is not a true democracy without the liberty of black people which historians 
disagree with because historically freedom came for America as an idea of freedom from England, not an idea as freedom from slavery. Mm -hmm. Then this is kind of the, the argument that's happening here. Um, since the creation of the 1619 project, it received, it received a lot of criticism from other journalists, from political Mongols, um, but it did win Hannah Nicole Jones, or Nicole Hannah Jones, I'm sorry, received the 2020 Pulitzer Prize for commentary for her introductory essay earlier this year. Um, so the magazine was accompanied by a special section in the Sunday newspaper when it was first published um, in partnership with the Smithsonian, which um, did a piece on the transatlantic slave trade. Um, it also began a multiple episode podcast series called 1619, which was published by the Daily at the time and is now its own independent podcast, but that is still produced by the New York Times. Um, and... Just shortly after that, the Times planned to take the 1619 Project into schools with a project called the 1619 Project Curriculum. Sorry, I'm saying project a lot, but that's what they all are. Um, yeah. Essentially, they printed hundreds of thousands of extra print copies of the magazine issue, and they were distributed into schools, museums, and libraries. The Pulitzer Center on Crisis Reporting has also made free online lesson plans available, um, particularly specifically to encourage people to read the 1619 project, read the essays, um, discuss and sort of unpack them in classrooms. Um, they want it to be widely spread available. The, this magazine was one of the highest selling print magazines since Obama's inauguration in 2009. That's how many people wanted the physical copy, um, which is super cool. So the publication of the project received varied reactions. Uh, Senator Kamala Harris praised the project. Um, she called it a powerful and necessary reckoning of our history. Um, high profile conservatives, including Newt Gingrich, criticized the project as brainwashing propaganda. Ted Cruz also called it propaganda and propaganda. And then Donald Trump in an interview for Fox News said, quote, I just look at, I look at school. I watch, I read, look at the stuff. Oh my God. Now they want to change. He said, now they want to change. 1492 Columbus discovered America. You know, we grew up, you grew up, we all did. That's what we learned. Now they want to make it the 1619 project. Where does that come from? What does it represent? I don't even know, which clearly he didn't even know. Like he doesn't know what the significance of that is. Um, in July 2020, Republican Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas proposed the Saving American History Act of 2020, which prohibited K-12 schools from using federal funds to teach curriculum related specifically to the 1619 Project. He made a whole law about it. Oh, um, my God. And make schools that did use federal funds to teach this curriculum ineligible um, for federal professional development grants. He also added that the 1619 Project is racially divisive and a revisionist account of history that threatens the integrity of the Union. Well, you know Str what was racially divisive? Slavery. Yes. <laughs> and everything that Black people have had to go through in this country. Yeah. It. Um, and then on September 6, 2020, Trump responded on Twitter, of course, to a claim that the state of California is implementing the 1619 project into the state's public school curriculum. And Trump stated on this date that the Department of Education is investigating the matter. And if it is found true, federal funding will be withheld from Californian public schools. 
And then I'm so glad we decided to push this back a week because this really cinches it all together. On September 17th, only four days ago, Trump announced the 1776 Commission, which is a new project that will create a patriotic curriculum for public schools. Which is funny, which is ironic, because there is already a rival project to the 1619 project called the 1776 project. And it was, that was actually launched under the Washington Examiner, and it was launched by African-American academics who dispute the narrative of the 1619 project. So, but their, their purpose is that this, this community for the 1776, I think they've, re, they've renamed it 1776 Unites, I think, to make it more different than the 1776 mm. Commission at this point. Um, their purpose is to say, is to show instances of, like, Black power and Black prosperity throughout U.S. history, whereas the narrative of the 1619 Project is very much about places where Black people have been suppressed um, mm-hmm. and left to kind of and left to suffering, um, mm-hmm. which some did not like because they felt it was too cynical and too hopeless, you know, too, um, which it's, I, underst- I understand. I, th- I think I like, I can see why black critics of the 1619 Project would be like, this is a depressing narrative about like, that focuses very much on like how oppressed we are and kind of sheds this light mm-hmm. of like a, we will only continue to be op- oppressed is sort of the vibe um, as opposed to their project, which is like, let's look at black excellence. So I think there's, mm-hmm. I think there's two sides to it. And I do, I do understand that, yeah. that criticism. And Nicole Hannah Jones has been very open to the criticism just this week. The New York times deleted from the byline, their phrasing about 1619 being the true founding of the of America, because this has caused so much controversy. They took it out of the website. It is no longer in the print editions that are being still printed today. Um, it's not online digitally anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and this got a lot of criticism because they did it quietly. They did not announce that they would be doing this, and they tried to snuck it they kind of tried to sneak it by and people called them out for this. They said it was very hypocritical. It was unethical to do that. Um, And I'm just going to read a Twitter thread from Nicole Hannah Jones's Twitter um, about what she said about this. Um, She says, well, first of all, people were criticizing her on Twitter because she had deleted some old tweets, stuff like that. But this mm-hmm. is what she said. She said, this needs to be said. My Twitter timeline is not an official 1619 Project copy. The 1619 Project is written by awe-inspiring group of journalists, historians, and poets. Those interested in what it actually says can read original full texts. And then she links the Pulitzer Center website. And then she goes on to say, I am tortured by the extent to which I have invited the sustained effort to discredit the 1619 Project, but I also know that a year in, what this effort is truly about. I've spent much of the weekend reminding myself that Twitter can be useful and sometimes amazing, but it is not real life, and in many ways, it's simply toxic. So I'm going to be spending a lot less time on here and much more in real life, including working on the 1619 book. When I first pitched this project, my editor asked me what was my ultimate goal. I told her I wanted Americans to know the date 1619 to force that foundational date into the national lexicon. The extent to which the project continues to be attacked shows the success of that goal every mm-hmm. time someone writes or tweets or speaks about 1619 in praise or in derision they are marking the beginning of american slavery they are acknowledging that date and that is enough 
So I think that the 1619 project is, it's definitely flawed and it's not perfect. Um, Mm -hmm. Some of the criticisms I completely understand and I, I do see them. I do think that you can criticize something and be aware of its value. And I think the frustrating thing about this letter that historians wrote is that they were trying to devalue it um, Mm -hmm. as opposed to others who were critical of it, but still stated, but it is an important thing to exist. Um, Yeah. So I, I would encourage, I would encourage everybody to read at the very least the introductory essay by Nicole Hannah Jones. It's, it's very well written. Um, It's long it's very long um I t- <laughs> for like because when i read it i i did the whole like a june anti-racism curriculum yes and it was supposed to be like 35 minutes a day or something like that and you're supposed to read this and do something else and this was like it took me like 40 minutes to read and i was like this is like two days worth of work which was fine because it was really interesting but it, it is long it is dense don't mm-hmm. think oh it was written for the new york times it's like a short new york times article it's not um it's definitely like you're reading material for the day but it is super worth reading and hopefully that'll inspire you to read other essays and the poems and other collections from the 1619 project and i do want to listen to the podcast as well because it is something that she's put a lot of work into and i think the fact i always say that if the republicans are getting angry about it then you're probably on the right (laughs) yeah you know like you're probably actually doing something important if they hate it yeah is my thought is my thought on that i'm like oh okay the more the right hates it the better it probably is for Mm -hmm. our collective learning and collective society um so yeah, give it give it a read. Um, give the podcast a listen. Um, form your own form your own opinions. You know, I do mm-hmm. think that there was this really the Atlantic article made a really good point of being like, is history objective? And Nicole Hannah Jones says no, history is subjective because. The experience of history is completely different from the perspective of a persecuted group or mm-hmm. from the perspective of the victorious. Like, I'm sure in England, they paint the American Revolution very differently than we do, right? Mm-hmm. We can't, and so she's like, history is subjective. Um, whereas many historians and the biggest critics of the 1690 Project say that history is objective. History is only fact. And that's their issue with this. So I do think it's this interesting debate about, like, like what is history? How is it framed? Like, is history always framed through? Is there any true fact? I mean, that's really philosophical. <laughs> that's what my... <laughs> I took a class in college about it. It was rough about being like, that's a fact. Um, it's, it's rough. But I do, I do think that it, it, it does cause an interesting debate about, like, can we ever truly paint history without weighing down all the implications of of race and power and things like that without Mm -hmm. it like can we ever learn about i mean we can learn about the civil war without talking about race there's apparently only like 30 percent of high school students in the u.s know that slavery caused the civil war like it's really bad so obviously we can (sighs) talk about these things without talking about race but it's like can we ever truly know something without knowing it through the context Mm -hmm. of race or gender or or any identity you know which is i think i think that is interesting so Mm -hmm. something to think about well that's that thank you so much for listening you can find us on instagram twitter and facebook at ykwibw podcast 
you can check out our website, I've been wondering.com. If you like what you're hearing, you can consider donating to us directly through the link in our show notes and or leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. And finally, if you have something that you've been wondering, you can email us at I've been wondering podcast at gmail.com and we will plop it on the show. Sarah, yes. do you know what I've been wondering? What? You just told me that Yugoslavia doesn't exist anymore? What do you mean? It doesn't. There was a war and that's not a country anymore. It's not? No. It's now... It's now Croatia and some other places. Wow. I didn't know that. Not a place anymore. (laughs) I love when you ask me to talk about country's history. (laughs) It just... You go away to Slavia. Yeah. That was a terrible joke. I'm so sorry. Yeah, <laughs> there are lots it. of countries that were countries and now aren't anymore. But I didn't think Yugoslavia was one of them. Yeah, Yugoslavia is not a place. You don't go Slavia. <laughs> you don't go Slavia. That was really there bad. You, there it is. There it is. That's what <laughs> I was looking for. <laughs> there it is. Okay, um, Shane, I'm happy to talk about that. You know what I've been wondering? What have you been wondering? I was actually going to ask you about something totally different, but I'll save it for spooky season. Um, I want you to talk mm-hmm. about, since I know that you know a lot about it, why Shane Dawson and Jeffree Star are canceled and deserve to be canceled. <gasps> ah! <laughs> we're going to go there. Okay, okay, okay. Oh my gosh. Oh. I, know, I know this is a lot, but you're going to do a great job. This is such a full 180 first because we were such stands of at least Shane like a year ago. I know. I was like very invested in him and Ryland and their success and happiness. I'm so annoyed with Ryland now that he's just like go- going back to normal. Like he's like, well, now I'm going to post like our bedroom makeover is a video. And he's yeah. like, no. Yeah. I was like, excuse me, what? And he did this video, he did a video being like, I took a month to reflect. But the cover photo was like him in a wig. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, it doesn't <laughs> seem, it doesn't, not that he's not allowed to wear a wig, but it seemed like he wasn't taking it seriously. Like, it's it already seemed, it already seemed like a joke, even just from the thumbnail. I was like, are you joking? We should have like, The work that he was doing in the month he took off was not anything like listening to other people's experience or learning from it. I watched the beginning of it, but I got so fed up with it that I turned it off. Yeah. Um, He was like, I took a month to like reflect and learn, but like his learning was not like him hearing other people's experiences or stories or perspectives. It was literally just him like downloading a meditation app and meditating once a day. Right. And he was like, like, and I listened to Shane defend himself. I was like, (sighs) it's absolutely ridiculous. And it's like, all right, you two can just go be, like, shitty and problematic together, you know? Like, I don't fault him for being, like, I knew who he was when I when I agreed to marry him and I'm going to stay with my partner. Like, that I'm like, yeah, I get that. Right. But, like, don't try to be, like, he's right and I know that and you don't, so I'm just going to continue my life. Like, Right. Know. Right. Super frustrating. Anyway, Except that's what- that's the, what, your partner. Right. Um, that's what we're going to talk about. Okay, we'll talk about it. <laughs> Great! Oh my god. That goodness. is everything. Thank you so much for listening. This is You Know What I've Been Wondering.